I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINnetwork.com. Welcome to this episode of RAIN's Essential Geopolitics podcast. Earlier this month, RAIN published its geopolitical and security annual forecasts. The forecasts cover a wide range of strategic and tactical security issues we're tracking in 2024. Here to discuss a few of them with me is Sam Lichtenstein, RAIN's Director of Analysis. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for having me, Emma. To start us off, what are some of the most important security developments highlighted in the annual forecast? Well, I know we've only got a few minutes together, Emma, and obviously a lot to cover. So I guess it makes most sense to start with the two active war zones that are top of mind for everyone. So uh, what's going on in Israel and the surrounding region, and then the war in Ukraine. So let me start with Israel, because that's the the most dynamic. And, and honestly, as we're recording this today, Emma, you know, by the time we release this, there, there may be another development. But let me kind of lay out in broad strokes what we forecast for the year. Uh, most immediately, and as it relates to God, we've already seen part of our forecast begin to come true, which is namely that the intensity of combat operations in Gaza is going to decline. Um, we've already seen some announcements about this from the Israeli military at the very end of 2023 and first few weeks of 2024, and we expect that to continue uh, as Israel ships forces, uh, albeit slowly, out of Gaza uh, and more towards other parts of the country, namely the northern border with Lebanon. That, of course, is the big hotspot to watch. Um, we've seen, of course, over the past few weeks, uh, an increase in threats from both Hezbollah and Israeli military and politicians, uh, an uptick in what's been really ongoing cross-border firing since the start of the conflict. And there are now real risks about what a potential Israeli-Hezbollah conflict could look like. To be clear, our forecast is uh, a full-scale Israeli invasion of Lebanon is still unlikely, uh, but both sides have strong imperatives to continue striking one another, and the risk is basically that when you have this very dynamic fluid situation, already high tensions, very uh, high risk of miscalculation, misunderstanding from both sides, and especially in the context of political posturing from Hezbollah and the Israeli government, you, you have a recipe that's going to be dynamic to watch. Uh, really throughout the not only the coming weeks uh, but really throughout the whole year and why that's particularly important for us is, of course, the ongoing wider context. There are so many ways in which what started out as an Israel-Hamas conflict centered in Gaza has now metastasized. We, of course, have a huge uh, uptick in Houthi attacks uh, in the Red Sea and beyond. Iran has now started to take a more active response. And so our general forecast for the year is while, although there are really strong incentives for all the parties to not let this become a massive uh, regional conflict, conflict in which you have states striking one another uh, in ongoing attacks. The number of touch points and in, in ways in which this conflict is now rippling throughout the region will make this uh, a constant risk throughout the year. Um, and of course, the, the risks that accompany any conflict in the Middle East don't necessarily stay there. Um, we've already seen ways in which this conflict has played out elsewhere, uh, namely, for instance, through various terrorist attacks um, targeting US, Israeli, Western individuals and targets. Um, we've seen a, a huge uptick in, in espionage in other parts of the world. And so these are all 
all things to, to bear in mind through the through the rest of the year. But to be completely transparent with you, this is just an incredibly dynamic uh, issue. What we have a little stronger footing on is what we believe to, to be the forecast for the war in Ukraine. Um, and, and bluntly put, we see this uh, largely a stalemate. You know, last year, uh, we forecast that the Ukrainians would really struggle to make significant headway in their counteroffensive. Uh, and tragically for Ukraine and the West, that, that largely proved true. Uh, so what we see this year is really from both sides, um, the Ukrainians really struggling with capacity constraints in terms of personnel, materiel, et cetera. Um, and so, therefore, are really going to be challenged to undertake any sort of major offensive operation, which really means that they're going to be in a much more defensive position for the year. Similarly, from the Russian perspective, they see this uh, as, as a waiting game. They're calculating that Western resolve to support Ukraine is already declining. Uh, and, of course, they're hoping um, that Donald Trump retakes the White House uh, at the end of 2024 and enters in 2025, because they know that compared to the Biden administration, a Trump administration, is going to be far more interested in trying to cut a deal with Russia, pressure Ukraine to enter into negotiations, and cut down on, on U.S.-led support for Kyiv. So basically, the Russians, the Ukrainians uh, are, for different reasons, likely to prioritize defense this year. That, of course, doesn't mean uh, by any means that there won't be attempts at offensive campaigns. But what we're really forecasting uh, is a lot more of a stalemate, uh, where both sides, uh, for different reasons, are going to be focused more on active defense rather than major offensive uh, events. And kind of amid all these high profile stories, are there any undercovered issues you want to highlight in the forecast? Uh, well, Emma, I could keep you here for, for hours, but I won't do that to you and, and to our listeners. But yes, suffice it to say, there, there are a huge number of stories here that, you know, amid the headlines from, from Israel and Ukraine are definitely being uh, lost a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll draw our attention to a few of them. Uh, one, of course, uh, we already saw just over uh, the past weekend, the presidential election results in Taiwan returning the DPP uh, to the presidency. This is obviously the comparatively more pro-sovereignty and anti-reunification party. Um, and China has made very clear that uh, it is highly displeased with this outcome. Uh, what that means for us is, you know, as forecast that Chinese, not only economic crucially military coercion is going to ramp up and this is a story you know to be transparent is not just about 2024 but is now going to be uh, the forecast for a number of years going forward what we're looking at in 2024 is the key date uh, when the DPP takes the presidency in May uh, we can expect an uptick um, in Chinese live fire drills um, naval incursions airspace incursions around Taiwan etc and why that, of course, matters is, you know, as we saw in 2022 to a larger extent and, and to a lesser extent until 2023, um, you have these ripple effects where you sometimes have disruptions to nearby air traffic and commercial shipping. Um, and the more that China is incentivized to engage in the sort of military coercion um, in, in potentially even ramping up to things like beginning small blockades for, for temporary periods or in other ways practicing for a potential larger incursion of the Island, which, to be clear, we do not foresee is likely for a number of years. The more the more um, you're going to have tensions ramp up in that region, uh, the more scope there's going to be for some sort of an accident uh, or misunderstanding, miscalculation. Uh, and when you're dealing with the Taiwan Strait, that's a, a very dangerous place to be. 
Similarly, uh, I'd also point out the South China Sea, which compared to the Taiwan Strait gets far less attention, but I'd actually argue is really where we're most concerned in 2024 itself. Um, you know, you have China that's been flexing its maritime muscles for many, many years, uh, and you have a number of regional claimant states, most notably the Philippines, uh, that have been resisting this. And so the the stakes are high into 2024 as, as this pace of militarization um, and political posturing in a lot of these countries continues. I would say, if anything, the most likely uh, dispute you're going to see is rise between the Philippines and China. They've been at loggerheads now for quite some time uh, in terms of mar smaller maritime incidents, but the risk is real um, that there's going to be some sort of a, of a collision between two ships or, or other maritime incident that results in casualties. Um, even though both states obviously have strong imperatives to not escalate to a direct conflict, uh, the, the risk is that you have a huge high number of, ten of tensions. You have the United States, which technically has treaty obligations to the Philippines, all of which could, could really make for a combustible mix. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And then sticking, you know, with the East Asia theme, uh, you know, I'd also point out the Korean Peninsula. We've seen a ton of uh, policy changes coming out of Pyongyang in the first few weeks of 2024, you know, going beyond just the bellicose rhetoric uh, that we're used to, but really signaling that the risk of some uh, smaller exchanges of fire um, along uh, the DMZ and surrounding waters, those type of incidents are definitely going to have a much higher risk in 2024. Um, and so it's definitely another area. Area that we keep, want to keep an eye on because, of course, you again have a huge contingent of U.S. troops that are in South Korea. Um, you have Japan and South Korea, which are now beginning to cooperate much more closely militarily. Uh, and so, any sort of a security incident on the Korean Peninsula, uh, even if it remains physically contained to that area, certainly has a huge number of ripple effects. Um, just to move outside of East Asia, because of course we, we have a whole lot of ground to cover. I guess I'd flag two other areas that, that are being undercovered. One, you know, I'd actually point to a different type of, of threat, which is uh, that of social unrest uh, and terrorism, and particularly um, in Europe. Uh, Europe is going to be hosting uh, a huge variety of high-profile sporting events. Chiefly, uh, Paris will be hosting the Olympics over the summer. Uh, Germany will be hosting the UEFA soccer championship. Uh, so you have these flashpoints that are an obvious location where uh, if you are an activist, um, you're looking to get your message heard. And, you know, on the even more concerning side, um, if you are someone with extremist beliefs, whether it's on the proverbial right wing, left wing, uh, Islamist extremist, something else entirely, this is uh, really sadly an attractive venue to, to also commit violence. Uh, obviously, we're not just looking at these two major events. You know, there's a whole host of, of reasons in a lot of European countries um, where, you know, economic conditions uh, and political disputes are incentivizing uh, various forms of protest activities. And these are going beyond uh, what we've seen the past few years, which is like, for instance, uh, environmental protests. But, you know, even the past few days in Germany, you've seen a huge uptick in, in farmers' protests over the cost of living and a variety of measures that they see as kind of damaging their livelihood. So as we're looking across uh, Europe, this is, this is a year where, from a very different perspective on, on the threat spectrum, we'd also want to flag the risk of social and rest there. And, and obviously, because we have so many readers and clients that have not only business operations on the continent, but also are constantly traveling to and from the continent, this is really something uh, to bear in mind. 
And then the final space uh, that I'd flag, uh, particularly uh, in a different area, um, is out of the Sahel. Uh, this is a, a place where I think we at Rain have honestly been ahead of the curve for the past few years. We've really been highlighting what we forecast to be a steady march uh, of jihadists uh, across the region. And, and tragically, at each time that we put out this forecast, it, it seems to become true. You know, the, the drivers for continued expansion out of Mali and Burkina Faso, where a lot of these groups linked to Al-Qaeda, and Islamic State are based, continues apace, and we start to see slower and slower paths towards literal West Africa, uh, states like Benin, Ghana, etc., that are just over time becoming more susceptible to attacks in their northern communities. Um, and this is, of course, a concern for most immediately, you know, the people on the ground, uh, but also this is a concern for those of us that live in Europe, the United States, etc., because even though a lot of these groups are focused on in our local conflicts at the moment, you know, the, the tragic story is that terrorist groups rarely stay focused solely on local objectives. Over time, at least some factions of them uh, tend to have greater aspirations to conduct attacks in the West. And so as these groups continue to build up their capabilities, gain and hold territory, get more resources, etc., they may be focused right for now on local conflicts, but over time, that's going to make them more likely to also turn their attention uh, towards different Western countries. Thanks, Sam. Um, before we end, are there any low likelihood but high impact scenarios you want to address? Uh, this is this is something we on the analyst team, Emma, always, uh, I don't want to say enjoy, uh, but at least find very intellectually interesting because this is, you know, what uh, are the hardest calls to, to make, uh, especially when you have low confidence in them. But it's really incumbent on us as analysts to consider what are kind of the less likely but extremely impactful events, uh, because, of course, they're going to have an outside influence uh, on our readers and clients. So a few of them to flag, I mean, I would point to the Afghan-Pakistan border uh, as an area where we've seen a huge amount uh, of an uptick in violence since the Afghan Taliban retook the country in October, or excuse me, in August 2021. Um, we've seen a huge amount of attacks from um, different uh, anti-Pakistan groups based in Pakistan, or based in Afghanistan across the border into Pakistan. Um, you have Pakistan and the Afghan Taliban that have historically been quite close. Uh, but in recent months and years have steadily uh, ratcheted up tensions. Um, this is a space where, you know, both sides are loth to really get in deeply involved in each other's affairs, but uh, due to geography are, are bound together for better or worse. And so I would say this is a space to watch because, you know, you have an incredibly unstable border region. You have a huge collection of incredibly violent groups. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, an area of the world where, you know, what happens in, in one country will very quickly draw in regional countries. Um, and so any sort of major uptick in violence there is, is something that, you know, we're, we're looking at is what would that mean, not only for, for South Asia, but the, the wider world. Another thing I'd flag, um, and this is in a very different domain, is in cyberspace. Um, you know, for the past few years, uh, and particularly since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we've been talking about what the Russian cyber threat to the West looks like. Um, Russia has historically been far more risk tolerant in Ukraine um, in terms of carrying out actually destructive attacks, so attacks that are, are causing physical harm to, to systems, and in some cases, you know, really looking 
to literally destroy critical infrastructure. We haven't seen Russian hackers have that same risk tolerance in the West, um, you know, really trying to operate under that radar. We've seen them pre-positioning, for instance, a lot of malware, probing networks for vulnerabilities, but we haven't actually seen the same level of intent to actually carry out one of these destructive attacks. But, you know, in one of those less likely but extremely high impact scenarios, what if Russia were to do this uh, either in the United States or a European country? Uh, and this is particularly salient because we then wonder, does this trigger the Article 5 Mutual Self-Defense Clause of NATO? Um, according to NATO, you know, a major cyber attack would do that. Uh, but when push comes to shove, uh, it's going to be unclear if the bloc would actually be willing to technically uh, declare Russia to kind of, you know, be in breach of this and therefore require a unified response. The final area that I'd flag uh, is, you know, in our homeland, Emma, we obviously are gearing up for the general elections in November 2024. Um, there's, of course, a massive political angle to this uh, and what another four years of the Biden administration or another f different four years of what will presumably be the Republican nominee, the Trump administration look like. But there's also a massive security dynamic here. And of course, you know, we see almost every week uh, some new incidents of uh, threats of violence towards either individuals linked to Donald Trump's uh, legal troubles, um, to protesters on either the proverbial left or right, uh, to minority groups, etc. And so, you know, while we think it's unlikely that you would see, you know, any sort of a repeat of the January 6th Capitol attack in terms of, you know, a mass coordinated attack against uh, a public area like that, you know, we, we do have to consider, given the stakes that we have here, for instance, what if there is a conviction uh, of Donald Trump on one of these criminal charges that uh, what you have to imagine what that response would look like. Um, and so we actually have an entire um, key forecast question dedicated to what the risk of political violence looks like in the United States over the course of the next year. And a number of our scenarios deal with that question of what we could expect if there are major charges against Trump or if he were to, say, lose the election uh, by a very close uh, number. And again, you know, the, the results are contested, all of which really brings these kind of more extreme scenarios into play. Um, and of course, that would have not just horrific impacts, presumably in the United States in terms of an uptick in violence, uh, but obviously another repeat of mass political violence in the United States, you have to imagine that's going to really stain the image of the country. Um, it would cause a huge problem for the presidential transition, and arguably it's going to have foreign policy ramifications. So again, one of these scenarios that is incumbent on us to consider, um, and as we proceed through 2024, something we'll definitely be covering. Well, thanks again for sharing this uh, security overview for 2024. It's always great to hear from you, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this from uh, all the analysts as um, these scenarios develop. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. You can read our full forecast by subscribing to our geopolitical or security intelligence products. Our suite of risk products allow clients to access the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions. You can sign up or learn more at our website, rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.